0: I do like treating each conversation like you know individualistic, I guess, but what I think I ask mostly that that makes it comes out is I try to ask for examples and stories. And that's how you can see, you know because anyone can tell you that they're smart, hardworking, blah, blah blah, but it's when you can hear what stories they would point to that can tell you like, are they a really good fit or are they you know self-aware enough to really contribute in the way that you you need them to.
1: Egan began her career in investment banking and private equity. She first got a taste for entrepreneurship while she was working for a fund that focused on consumer retail, and she fell in love with the concept of building a brand. After working in marketing, as well as serving as the CEO of a fashion brand, Ali took the leap in 2020 and founded Veracity Self-Care. Veracity creates a personal skincare experience based on real data about hormones and other biofactors that impact skin and health through their at-home skin and health test. You're about to hear how after a career working with luxury brands through e-commerce, retail, and wholesale, Allie was inspired to take the mystery out of skincare and make it about real health and identifying root causes versus just treating symptoms. Coming up, Ali shares how she created the idea for Verocity while balancing her work as the CEO of Cynthia Raleigh. The importance of taking risks in your entrepreneur journey. Ali shares how she partnered with doctors to do research on personalized skincare and why she says fundraising is truly an eye-opening experience as well as her best tips for success. And finally. Ali shares the power and conviction when you're starting a business. This is the Entreprenista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must hear real life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits and plenty of surprises. Ali, I am so excited to finally sit down with you and have this conversation. I cannot wait to hear all about your entrepreneur journey now starting your new venture. So thank you so much for spending the afternoon with me.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this.
1: Ali, we connected, I guess it was what, like a year and a half ago during COVID on
0: Hey Mama? I was trying to remember It was like go me back. in the like super infancy stages of my business when I was trying to like get, when it was like just me and I was trying to get tips and you did a Hey Mama event and it was, you were super awesome. And then I think I messaged you afterwards and we somehow stayed connected from there.
1: (laughs) That's right. It was the social media events I did. And and that's how we connected. I was trying to remember. I'm like, I know we connected initially through the group, but I couldn't remember how. Uh, It just goes to the power of joining groups and communities and and networking and something that, and that how we talked awesome about. You are. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, right back, right back at you. I feel like we're all in this together, trying to, to help each other, to grow our businesses. So it's so incredible to see all that you've accomplished with your business now over such a short period of time. And I know you have so many learning lessons and advice to share, but before we even get into that, I would love if you could Share a bit of your background and what you were doing prior to starting your business. And did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, just briefly on my background, I, I feel like I've done a million different jobs, sort of all mostly within the worlds of consumer goods and brands. I mean, I started out my career not in that world at all in in investment banking, um, doing boring stuff for insurance companies and health tech and what have you. And then I was lucky enough, I went to the world of private equity from there. um, But I went to a fund that focuses exclusively on consumer retail. So beauty businesses, apparel, consumer health, restaurants, like. and that's where um, I really fell in love with the concept of building a real brand and a platform. And where I got the inkling that I belonged, what I say on like the other side of the table, where it was so amazing to be able to like meet all these amazing businesses. And of course, like feel like you had a little bit of stake in all of them, but I found like my personal passion was just much more on really creating something and being the impetus behind it. I remember being at one of our meetings where Restoration Hardware was one of the companies that we had invested in. And I don't know how many people remember this, but Restoration Hardware used to be like kind of rinky dink, like little store. And now it's like super upscale and beautiful and like coveted by everyone. Right. And my firm had invested in them and they were kind of touting what they had done at Restoration Hardware. And I just was like, wow, I really think they gave them the money to enable that. But really it was like the CEO and the COO who like, we're in there building the brand, totally ripping up the old ways of doing things in the supply chain and all that stuff. And so that's when I was like, you know what? I, I think I want to make a change. And I went to, um, to business school and, you know, it was like, let me try the other side of the world. And then ended up at Estee Lauder companies working for some of the biggest and best beauty brands in the world. So I worked for La Mer, Clinique and Origins. What did you until- do there? I did, uh e-commerce, digital marketing, and product marketing. So all different types of marketing and on both the digital side and the, um, and the product and brand side. And, and it was amazing. And I learned so, so, so much. But I also learned that I love, I just love seeing the tangibility of my own like work and ideas and seeing those come to life. And so it was so wonderful to have the training and the amazing network of a place like Estee Lauder. But I got the opportunity to go run a small, well, small, not much smaller compared to Esther not small, but uh, a fashion brand that many people have heard of, Cynthia Raleigh, go lead her business. And, um, and that was an incredible beginning of an on, more entrepreneurista type uh, role where, you know, we were a independently owned fashion brand and I got to come in and help them really create a direct consumer digital strategy from what had been, you know, sort of a more uh, old school established brand. So yeah, that's just a little bit on, on the background. And I would say I always like had an inkling that I would want to do something like high growth and entrepreneurial, but I was never... I was never going to be one to just start a business just for the sake of starting a business. Like I needed to believe in it from both a, you know, personal standpoint, as well as a business standpoint. And that's when, you know, when the idea for Veracity came, that's when those two worlds collided. And I finally made the decision to, to go after it.
1: How long were you at Cynthia Riley before you had the idea to start Veracity?
0: Just about two years. I was there a little over two years by the end of it, but and I can go into this whenever you want, but you know, I was going through so much personal stuff, um, and you and I have connected on this in the past. But you know, through um, a journey with infertility and, and hormonal imbalances, which ultimately was the inspiration for Veracity. That in the background of this, you know, crazy job, and I, it was just—it was not something I was thinking about as a business plan per se from day one, but just more personal frustrations and conclusions that I was drawing. That. Uh, you know, further along the line ended up being like, well, I think there's an opportunity to do something different here.
1: A lot of our entrepreneurs are working in a full-time role and starting their business on the side or have these ideas that they're trying to test out while they're, uh, you know, employed full-time. How did you manage, you know, doing both or coming up with this idea while you were still working and how did you know it was the right time to say okay I need to go all in and give my all to veracity yeah so
0: I think this is really tough because I want to I think it's so dependent on you know where you are in your life and how much time you can focus you know I was the CEO of this business where, you know, my Monday through Friday was so intense that there was no, there was no, like do this on the nights type of thing. So it was a little bit more, I would take like a few hours on the weekend and sort of like start to think through my ideas or what research I would want to do. And I am much more naturally, like I like to keep my ideas until they're like perfectly formulated. And I, I can, you know, tell you the whole story. Um, but maybe it was due to a little wine or something. Um, but I remember I went to a uh, like a Thanksgiving party um, with a friend of mine who runs a healthcare venture fund. And I kind of mentioned to him that I had this idea around bringing the power of a personalized health pro- approach and testing to the world of, of skincare. That was like basically it. I had no other real, real you know, walls around that and he thankfully was like wow that's really cool why don't you come and we'll like brainstorm it a little bit more and and so that was like very unusual and I went to his office uh, a couple of times and we sat down and just literally started whiteboarding things and, and and he helped me think through it enough to say like where should I where is there 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 and what do I actually need to think about and in, in validating this as an opportunity and as I got more excited about it you know the the exciting thing and then frustrating thing was like, I, I can't, this is a, this is a lot. It's not just like, you know, I sometimes I'm jealous of, of people with no business is easy, but some businesses are just more straightforward than yes. others. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, why couldn't I have just created like a new snack flavor or something? Um, but, a newsletter. How about uh, just a newsletter, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> something, something like that. Um, but obviously the, the involvement on the science side of what we do is, is really a whole, a whole time, full time thing. And so I very quickly realized if, if this was going to be a thing, I needed to give up the other thing to, mm-hmm. to really make it happen. Otherwise it could be years before anything happened or it could never happen. And, and I feel really blessed because this uh, friend, I think gave me the confidence to say, you know, he, he told me he would be one of my first investors and, and all that. And having that support made me say, okay, you know, I believe in this. And if I'm ever going to do it, like now's the time and, and, uh, had made the decision to, you know, step back from my role as CEO, even though that was technically on paper, my dream job and, and take a risk.
1: What did that feel like the day you gave your notice that you were going to leave?
0: It was scary to be honest, because, you know, I, I, I again, I remember, so I was in business school and they make you write down like in five years, where do you want to be? They make you write down like so many things, So I remember <laughs> my five-year thing. I was like, I want to be running a great consumer brand within the world of, I think I said, like fashion, beauty, or wellness. And I was like, that was my job. And so then I was like thinking, I'm like, well, what am I doing? Like you already have the thing that you said you want it. So what, what gives with that? But at the same time, like I said, like I loved working for Cynthia and I, I, you know, I think it's a beautiful brand, but I thought with veracity, like I had the ability to touch people's lives in a much deeper way than making them feel good for an event or, you know, a couple of events, um, wearing a beautiful dress or, or outfit, but to really give them the power about themselves to change their skin and change their lives. And so ultimately I was like, you know what, I, I think that this is a risk I'm, I'm willing to take. And if nothing else, it'll be a great, I'll learn a lot. Yes.
1: So tell me about the early days when you first leave your job and now it's day one, you're not with Cynthia anymore. What did you do first? Had you already started to raise money or was, was that the first thing you had to start working on?
0: Uh, no, the first thing I had to start working on was the science part of it. So I think I talked to like 150 doctors or something in the first few weeks and, you know, got their insights into, you know, the overall idea, what their thoughts behind it were, what we could test, how we could do it, who I could talk to about testing. And the amazing thing about that experience is, again, I had, I always wanted to bring this like whole health approach. Cause for me, what the failure was, and I can talk, go into this more later was in our medical system, you're, you're dealing with a lot of hyper specialists, which is amazing because these people are so trained in really, really complex, hard, hard things. The bad thing about it is when you talk to your dermatologist, like she's not as educated, um, probably some are um, more than others, but you know, on nutrition or on hormonal imbalances or on these other things that we know are all related because your skin is not discreet from the rest of your body. But so initially I was talking to derms and OBs and endocrinologists and functional medicine doctors and kind of triangulating and making sure there was a there there from all these different angles and, and ended up building our founding medical team, which, which includes representatives from dermatology, OB, endocrinology, functional medicine, and nutrition. And, and they were the ones that were super instrumental in helping us design the tests and the products and all that, all the stuff that makes us what we are today.
1: That is so interesting. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs when they're thinking about creating that, founding team or their board and they're looking for you know high level professionals who have you know clout in their industry it can be a bit intimidating to go reach out to them and sell your dream and sell your vision and get them on board what did you do that got these doctors so excited and then would love if you could speak to A bit about how you negotiate those type of deals when you're first starting your business and you're, you know, bringing on doctors or professionals on board.
0: Sure. I would say this is something I wish I would have known. So I'm happy to share. I think. You should think of yourself as an asset too, as like a entrepreneur and founder and, you know, doctors lead a very structured career. And I think a lot of times they even want to have these conversations with entrepreneurs is because it is something new and exciting. And, and I look back and, um, the conversations that I've had, you know, I know, Aly- Alyssa Dweck, Dr. Dweck, um, for example, who's our OB, who's so amazing and has written three books and female health and and sexual wellness. And I asked her, like, you know, I was like, what convinced you mostly that you wanted to work with me? And she was like, you, and I was like, really? Like how? And I think it was like <laughs> that vulnerability that I showed in like sharing sharing my story. And then also just like that I was very thoughtful and about the way that I wanted to go about doing things. And and so she believed in me and, and then I was able to reap the benefits from her expertise. Um, and then on the contract sort of negotiation side, don't be afraid to ask. Like I asked a ton of people, what do you like, you know, it seems on, um, you don't, you don't want to ask someone how much they pay for rent or what they pay, but within the world of, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, I think you can't be afraid to ask. And maybe someone won't tell you, but you're like, what? did you give up how did, exactly did you structure it what do you ask them for and and you know at a high level there's pretty good comps where, you know, the industry is at given the size of your business for advisors, whether they be business advisors or medical advisors. And then the best advice I got was, you know, just making sure that the asks for that, those relationships are very, very clear on, you know, how much time you want from them, what kind of expertise, if you want them to be public facing and talking about your brand, those kinds of things.
1: Is it typically only equity that you're giving or equity plus payment at that early stage with with doctors?
0: Uh, Most of our doctors are all equity because that was important to me that I wanted them to believe in it and I didn't have any money. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) those those two things combined. Can't give you what you don't have, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Ali, you have had an extremely successful fundraise over the last year, and congratulations because I know firsthand how hard that is, and it is a full-time job to fundraise. I would love if you can share a bit about your experience going through the process and some tips and what you learned from it.
0: Sure. Well, I had to go through it twice already because we raised a pre-seed in summer 2020, and then we raised our seed round in 2021. Uh, and I've learned a lot along the way, (laughs) I would say just a few nuggets of advice. One is, you know, you just get better at it over time. And part of the exercise is really daunting, but it actually does really give you clarity on what you want and need to do with the business. So in a weird way, it's, it's quite helpful for, for the business as well. But if there are ways um, that you can test with people like who, you know, it's, it's actually quite funny. My um, The lead investor from our seed round who's on our board now, I had, you know, connected with her very early on and I just practiced pitching with her. I wasn't even trying to pitch to her and, and ended up like then, you know, months later, she was like, well, I loved what you were doing then. And now it makes, now you have actually something to invest in. So it makes sense, but it's having those conversations where they're like not, there are no stakes, if you would, where you get to try selling your story and see what the reactions and the questions are, and then can refine um, your pitch um, that way. I would say the other big thing that, you know, I I found very helpful is really thinking like when you're raising money, it's not just, it's definitely not, I never really celebrated getting, finishing the raise because that's just the beginning of it. Now you have to go make what you want happen with that money. So one exercise that's completely crucial saying, what am I really going to do with this money? And where's it going to get me? And is that going to enable me either to never have to raise money again, or to, to convince that next group of people, whether it's the same group of people or new people to invest more in the business. And that it sounds simple, but it's, it's hard work thinking about that. But if you can do that, then you, no, it just breaks it down and make it so much more simple. This is the exact amount of money I need to raise, and this is what I need to do in the next, you know, year, two years, whatever that time period is to get it done. And I just have one last thing is you still know your business the best. So a lot I was on the investing side before, and investors are super smart people and they see a lot of businesses and they ask a lot of good questions. But I think you have to have a conviction in what you're doing and take good ideas with a grain of salt and say, I know I actually run this business and this company. And so despite some opinions that you might get elsewhere, just like knowing that you really are the best person to make the final decision on, on how to lead your company.
1: That's such great advice because yes, if you're having a hundred conversations with different investors and they all wanna give you different advice and feedback. Oh, everyone has can, a different it opinion. It can spin, <laughs> you in a, spin you in a lot of different directions yeah. and uh, send you down a, a rabbit hole. So that's definitely really, really great advice. When you raised that initial pre-seed round, how did you go about figuring out what your valuation should be before you actually, you know, had a product or had a, a business?
0: Yeah, that is tough. And I think there are some things at the sort of pre-seed really early stage businesses that are the, still the wild west of entrepreneurship and fundraising. And, and quite frankly, it's I think a lot of it depends on the sector you're in, as well as your personal experience. Um, so if you're on the younger side and you're, you know, if I was fully in what I call like CPG, like I don't consider our business just a skincare business because we really are integrating a true health like platform to the world of, of skincare. So, you know, I sort of, took what I saw as different averages across different sectors and then eventually had to just put my money where my mouth is and say, okay, I think that this is reasonable but fair. And I think as as women, that's something especially important because we're not, we just tend not to be as good at that, but just picking an anchor. And I had I had some investors tell me like, oh, your cap is way too high. And I said, okay. And I didn't change my cap because of that. And we just moved on from those folks and found the people who believed in the business that we wanted to build at the valuation that we thought was fair.
1: What has surprised you the most about going through the fundraising process?
0: Oh goodness, so many things. Um, (laughs) I think stamina, to be honest, I would say like You know, one funny thing, especially about raising money in this world where everything is turned, you know, virtual, and it might be like that even more after the pandemic is you're going from one meeting to the next meeting and trying to remember like even who you spoke to, but I would say I'm done it twice. And and I've seen so many other women founders that I've met interact interacted with. And I'm like, I'm honestly so proud of everyone because I'm like, wow, it's not easy to do that. And it's almost like I'm, I'm a runner. It's almost like running a marathon like every day for a couple of months or something. So I would say one thing is like you're, you surprise yourself with your ability to just get it done. And then, you know, the other surprising thing is just the I would say the variability in expectations for, for, you know, I don't know the alternative to this and I, I consider myself a, a women supporter, but not like overly feminist, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Mm-hmm. But I do think for, for women, there can tend to be higher thresholds for proving something for very early stage businesses. And so I think what was surprising to me, I was launching, a, I was very Public about hey, I'm launching a business that is pre-revenue. This is what I've done so far. This is what we're going to do, and still, like you'd get questions or 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 folks who then would say, "Well, it's too early for us," or something like that. And you're like, "Well, what? What are you talking about? You knew how early it was." Yes, I think um, that's something that it will still never shock to surprise me. Um, but I think you can't let that um, get you down. I actually listened to a, a podcast where. I think it's the founder of, of a crypto business said "A successful fundraise is getting one out of 10 yeses, which is like, you know, horrible percentage, but that's a success, success. And so you have to, that's surprising, but true.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely in business, whether you're fundraising or just business in general, you're going to hear a lot of no's before you get to the yes. And it's the the women who can stick around long enough to to get to those yeses who are are resilient and keep going and and make it happen but it's true it's really hard when you hear no 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 you have to be able to just keep going and say the more no's i hear the sooner i'll I'll hear that yes so yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> i de- definitely agree with you there i would love to hear a little bit more about your personal story and how it really inspired you to launch this business
0: yeah, of course. So I, I alluded to this earlier, but you know, I've, when I first started the business, I wasn't necessarily even going to share this story. And then as I was creating my first pitch deck, I realized like, I need to share that story because it's what makes it, it's it's what makes me the right person to lead the business. And it's also what will convince a room full of men, potentially that this is something that women need and want and deserve. And so just in the shortest way i can say it i like so many women um something had changed in my body and i just out of nowhere when i was in business school i started getting this like dry flaky skin and not just like oh it's winter my skin's a little dry but like very visible like kind of gross looking <laughs> and i had um gone to see my dermatologist and she just told me it's contact dermatitis like something's irritating your skin stop using what you're using that kind of thing and i followed all those directions and and basically nothing revealed itself as the culprit yet the problem still stuck around for for almost four years and I kind of like learned to live with it got really good at covering it up that kind of thing and it wasn't until what was completely unrelated I was trying to start my family and you know we just like everyone else got off birth control and just kind of figured it would happen and and it didn't and So went in for fertility related hormone testing and, and they uncovered that I had an issue with my thyroid that was affecting a bunch of my other hormones. And, and at first they just kind of even said, okay, here, here's a medicine, you know, whatever go on with it. And you and I have connected on this before, but I then continued to go through the infertility journey without really even getting more clarity on what that diagnosis meant. I ended up having two miscarriages, ectopic pregnancy, failed IVF transfers, like you know, the whole thing. And it was only then when I started taking like real personal look into my own health and and sort of saying, okay, what are the details behind this? And I learned, you know, I have Hashimoto's, which is a a form of hypothyroidism and started reading into the effects of what the, the inflammatory effects of what that does and how that can lead your body to not being a great vessel for, you know, keeping a baby. And so, uh, so, you know, was able to sort of get some, some answers and clarity there that then eventually led to a successful pregnancy. And now I'm on my second, but the, the shocking thing to me, which was the the foundation for veracity was very clearly in like the front page of all the medical studies on Hashimoto's, which, Hashimoto's can affect up to 25% of women is dry flaky skin patches being one of the like foremost signs and symptoms. And I was like floored the first time I read this because I was like, are you kidding me? I like would have known about this four years ago. And once I was able to actually understand the root cause, I've never had that dry skin issue again, like literally not even a semblance of it. And then I was also so like personally frustrated because I'm like, wow, if I had these I was looking to my skin for answers because it is their largest organ. And I could have also known, Hey, you might be at this like risk for infertility. And then, but there are natural ways of going about, you know, getting, uh, rebalancing yourself on those fronts. And if I'd had time, which I would have, I, I just felt so like. I felt like the system had failed me both from a medical side and like here I was. Like, I worked a freaking Estee Lauder. like I was well educated in skin and so anyway long story short that is just like what made me to show that like within the world of skincare we talk about wellness but it's really this more like superficial like take a bubble bath and wear a face mask sort of wellness but like to me, true wellness is really like understanding yourself and the highs and lows of, of, of your personal health and how that affects it. And so I thought, you know, we had the opportunity to really create something different with Veracity. And, and so, yeah, somehow got the courage to tell every single person I talked to that I suffered infertility. And now it feels like it just flies off the tip of my tongue. <laughs>
1: Well, it's definitely, you know, more, more commonplace to talk about it now, which I think is so important. And obviously we've connected on this and, I would not have gotten pregnant or stayed pregnant if it were not for sharing my story and connecting with community on social media. So by all of us speaking out, not just about infertility, but your experience with that dermatologist and everything you learned from your experience, we're all able to share content more openly now, and and it really helps one another. So I have a very important question. Did you go back to that dermatologist and tell tell her what she should have known from the beginning?
0: Yes. But like, but I also, I really am not bitter towards her because again, it's like, it's like, they're not trained in that. Like, I just wish they more would have, you know, said, Hey, why don't you go like see this other doctor Uh, or do something like this? Just not made it seem like it was no big deal because it was.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I learned from going through all of my medical experiences is that doctors are only doing the best they can do with the knowledge and information that they have. They don't have that information. It makes it hard for them to, to share. So by us sharing with them and having them learn new things, we can still educate doctors too, and have them know, know for the future.
0: Exactly. Right. Well said.
1: (laughs) So I have some of your products here that you sent me Ooh. that I haven't even opened yet because I was waiting for, oh my gosh, a, the not today. <laughs> so I have you so kindly sent the BioEvolve moisturizer and this serum. I would love if you could tell me a little bit about these products and what our entrepreneurs can expect when they get your package. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, of course. So, you know, uh, the essence of veracity, you know, lies first with our, our skin and health test, which is the at-home hormone test that gives you your actual numbers. And then I say creates a new version of trust. Cause it really like helps explain like where you are and then why you're being recommended the skincare. And then also this, this whole health approach, you also get real wellness recommendations. So diet, supplement, lifestyle, exercise, sleep, those types of things that create the, you know, the whole health environment for your best skin. But then we also said like, look, we need to create amazing skincare that is also hormonally safe and effective to really have that impact as well, that instant care, if you would. So what the products that you have are part of our BioEvolve collection, which is I call it like our skin essentials. So there are certain things within the world of health and wellness that everyone should do. For example, drink more water, eat vegetables. And that's kind of what these products are. So the serum is like your essential vitamins, nutrients, antioxidants, UV blue light blocking protectant. And then the moisturizer is the, you know, helps really rebuild and and fill in that skin barrier to sort of lock in all the goodness. There are two most popular products and, and, Clinically proven, effective, and and really, I just think they're beautiful formulas as well. And and the really cool thing about them, just quickly, is um, we have implied like we employ the the latest in skin science. I would call it called biomimetics. So in basics, that means we use ingredients that your body produces itself and can recognize, so it can take in those. Ingredients and use them right away. And also it reteaches your skin to do the things you're asking it to do over time because it recognizes those things. So that means not just using hyaluronic acid, for example, like we use a specific type of what's called 4D hyaluronic acid that is the most specifically replicated to your body's own natural hyaluronic acid. So it knows it can use it right away. And then it's like, hey, I should be making more of this type of thing. Then the the last thing that we have is our vital concentrates, which are really our powerhouse actives. So you can either, you can buy these with or without the test as well. But if you take the test, they really tell you what your specific hormonal opportunities are, if you would, and the skincare to address it. So you're not just picking out skincare based on, you know, what the woman at Sephora tells you to, or just what sounds cool from the package, but you're saying, Hey, I have acne. And so instead of just going for the anti acne products, there are different reasons why your acne could be caused. And so through taking the test and then getting recommended, one of our concentrates, you're able to have that confidence that the ingredients that you're using are really going to address your specific form of acne.
1: That is amazing. And I have to share with our listeners. I know you can't see this right now, but you can, you can hear me. Um, The (laughs) packaging is absolutely beautiful and luxurious. I would love to know, you know, who did you work with for, for your branding? Did you have a vision for your brand to look like this?
0: Uh, Yeah. So, well, my first employee um, is a woman I worked with actually at Cynthia Raleigh. Her name is Emily. She is fantastic. She she did like our very initial branding that like kind of found that green color because um, what we wanted to create, and by the way, the other thing I forgot to say is all the packaging is is glass and it's very beautiful, um, but it's also truly hormonally safe, both in the formulas and the packaging. So you don't, we all know plastics are not good, but we don't think that the fact that we have plastic sitting in all of our nice skincare and the fact that it's getting seeping into that skincare over time, like doesn't ever occur, but like with our glass packaging that doesn't happen. But anyway, back to the branding. So um, you know, Emily and I sat down and said, like, what do we want veracity to stand for? And and what I really wanted to stand out was not not this like cold science or fun, cutesy side of beauty, which I felt like you've seen so much of. Really like how do we represent like empowerment and your The empowerment that comes with knowing, having more conviction that you're making the right decisions for yourself. And so I am not, I like to think that I have good taste, but I'm not like a creative um, person in and of myself. So I, you know, we just started thinking about colors that represented empowerment and came up with this like, you know, more bold green and and golds. And then we did work with, um, an amazing branding agency called the inlay who we actually still work with today who created the sort of final brand and and packaging and stuff. And I can't say enough good things about Desiree and her team.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And definitely, definitely resonates with me. Who else did you hire on your team when you first started and how big is your team now?
0: Yeah, my team, there's eight of us, myself included. So small but mighty for sure. Um, and, you know, I feel like we both grew quickly and, uh, and uh, but in step function. So, you know, Emily um, has been with me uh, pretty much since day one, but, you know, I didn't even know this was going to be a thing. So she was doing some consulting basically for me. And then, then when it became more real, I brought her on uh, full time. I had, Uh, a couple of interns at first now who both work for me full time. And so, you know, uh, was able to sort of dip my toes into people and have people dip their toes into me as well. Um, So I think that's certainly what people should do, especially because those people you have around you, the early days are so crucial because like, you cannot you, no one can build a business by themselves like and so making sure that the people around you are the right fit um both you know culturally skill wise all those things is is just so 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 important and and now we have a really great team that like we vibe really well and we've you know done our own like we we did like a strengths exercise where we kind of get to know each other's like strengths and how to help play to those strengths so it's, it's did you do really strengths strength finders we did, yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: I love strengths finders. I did. It's when awesome. actually going back many, many years when I was an intern for Marriott that summer, we took strengths finders and I've just been a, a
0: big believer of it. What's your number one? Oh, oh, goodness. Well, I've taken several different versions of them. The one I so similarly, I to get my job at Essay Lauder, we did a, they did a like a strengths finders, but It was like a super cold call with an outside company where for two and a half hours, they like asked me questions, like sounding like a robot. And then eventually like, like, I guess, gave Estee Lauder a leadership report on me that then they hired me. So then once they hired me, they gave it to me. And I remember one of my top five was what they called like response to negativity. And I was like, this is a horrible strength. And I was like, that sounds so like, it sounds so negative, but uh, over time, like it's been so helpful because I've really grown to appreciate that skill and within myself. And I think that's honestly what makes me a good entrepreneur because to, as to our conversation before, you're going to hear a lot more no's and have a lot of bad news along the way. And it's, it's my ability to, not get pushed down by that, but be like, okay, now what are we going to do and move on that? Like now I'm like, that is an awesome skill. I'm so glad I have that.
1: (laughs) It's the best skill. You can't be an entrepreneur without it for sure.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Do
1: you have a go-to interview question that you typically ask to know if someone's going to be a great fit for your team?
0: No, (laughs) I wish I did. I need to get better at this. But I I do like treating each conversation like, you know, individualistic, I guess. But what I think I ask mostly that that makes it come out is I try to ask for examples and stories. And that's how you can see, you know, because anyone can tell you that they're smart, hardworking, blah, blah, blah. But it's when you can hear like what stories they would point to that can tell you like, Are they a really good fit or are they, you know, self-aware enough to really contribute in the way that you, you need them to.
1: All right, Allie, you listened to the podcast. So you probably know we're going to do a few rapid fire questions that you weren't prepared for. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be?
0: Uh, okay, well, if I could learn one new skill, I'm not saying how much time it would take me to learn, but I really love to learn how to draw because my team will tell you that I make some drawings that are almost illegible, (laughs) but I get really excited about them. And then they have to go and translate them to our actual like graphics people. And I feel really bad about it.
1: (laughs) All right. So drawing is on the list at some point. (laughs) Is there an app on your phone or what is the app on your phone that you can't live without?
0: Well, I'm a big runner. So I have this like uh, running schedule app that's called BDOT that I use. And I just really like it because it sort of holds me accountable uh, to it. So I'm going to go with that one.
1: Is there a favorite business tool or solution that you use in your business that you cannot live without?
0: Oh, goodness. I, I feel like you can't live without any of them, but they also are like your biggest like downer as well. I think for us, the ability to use Google docs and kind of collaborate on, um, a bunch of different, you know, we are so careful about the copy and the, the language that we use across all of our different touch points. So being able to have that all live together and and collaborate even from afar is like vital to what we do.
1: Yes. Could not live without Google docs. Definitely agree. Finally, what is your superpower? Oh, goodness.
0: (laughs) I think my superpower is resilience for sure. And part of that resilience is also choosing what to be resilient on. So I think in my early career, I would be like the person sleeping four hours a night, just like getting it done at all costs. But now I'm resilient in the way that like also includes like true self-care and and knowing those other attributes that I need to, to give myself to get the most out of myself.
1: Yes, I, I agree. Resilience is key and, you know, back to regular questions now, not rapid fire. I would actually like to go deeper into self-care and your routine and and life has maybe really changed, especially since you, you know, have a little one, you have, you're expecting another, another little one on the way and you're managing this business. What does your day-to-day routine look like? And what have you
0: learned over the past few years? Yeah. It's intense for sure. And it's, you know, I have to keep a like, do like structure. So, you know, I, I know that I like to wake up early and have my time before I have to do stuff. So, you know, I wake up and I typically, I call it, I make my like post-it of the day, which is I try to keep it to one post-it, but it's the stuff I have to do that day. and And having that clear mind to really say, okay, like what not get so caught up in a to-do list, but think about what are the things that I need to like, that actually matter today um, is really helpful. And then I always try to do some type of physical activity, even pregnant. And I think that that just like, just gets my body going and can be like more intense or less intense, but it's just that, that time where I really dedicate to myself and I don't feel bad about it.
1: No, that's awesome. And what are your plans that you have in place now you're about to have another baby, you're managing this high growth startup and and this, you know, new team. How what are your plans to be able to manage it?
0: I have to rely on the fact that I've built a team that I really do trust and believe in and while I'm not like dying or going away that I have, you know, I have other obligations for the next few months that I have to like absolutely prioritize, but it's like you have to trust that the work you've put in before is going to manifest and that the team you've built is going to take care of it. And that's, it's been scary thinking about that as an entrepreneur, but I think that hopefully it'll be a really good time where, you know, this business isn't just about me. It's about what we can give to our customers. So um, I'm hope very optimistic about what will come after that. And yeah, I'm just excited too. I, I've, I've thought a lot about this and I wrote a little blog for our site, but just with both the baby and just life in general, it's really trying to find these things in our days that bring us real true joy and focusing on that has been something that I've been trying to do over the last uh, couple of years. And will definitely continue to do as I have a bunch of sleepless nights and uh, (laughs) worries about to (laughs) invade my life.
1: Do you have a mantra or a quote that you live your life by or that defines you?
0: I wouldn't say like defines me because I think we're all like fluid enough people. And I, li- I like to keep that fluidity about me, but but I had two that I thought about that, that I wanted to share. Um, one is very traditional from Aristotle. And it's, he says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And I think that's something that I definitely try to make everything that I know is going to help lead to excellence a habit. And then the other one from my running obsession um, comes from Dina Castor, who's a US Olympic medalist um, in the marathon and some other events too. And she says, there's always going to be good miles and bad miles and, and you don't know what's coming next. And so just having that awareness that you don't have control, but that you can get through both the good and the bad, I think personally and professionally is, is vital.
1: I I love that. Do you have one essential business tip that you want to leave our listeners with today?
0: Yeah. Learn how to negotiate. (laughs) It sounds so nerdy. And so like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Like I look back at uh, Harvard Business School and like literally the best class I took was negotiation because it allowed me the skills and the confidence, comp- just a framework to be able to talk to people and, and get what's fair, but also what like is a good deal for, for me and our business. And And it goes personally, like now I've negotiated all of our leases and things with our, you know, for our, where we live. And so I would say, it may feel uncomfortable, but like learn how read a negotiation book at least and learn how the principles of negotiation for sure.
1: Is there a book that you love? And it's actually so fun. You say that the recording we just did right before yours was with Rebecca Zung and she is a negotiation expert and she has a whole, all these courses on how to negotiate with a narcissist. So we were just talking about negotiation before, and I could not agree more. I say you can negotiate basically everything. And as oh, long as you totally. at
0: least ask, even if someone's not willing to budge, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. So. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And asking, there's nothing to feel bad about asking for sure. There's a book called Never Split the Difference, which is good. There's a few others, um, but that's just one that comes top of mind.
1: Never Split the Difference. I'm going to look this one up and we'll definitely link to it in in the show notes. Allie, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you?
0: Oh, well, it, uh, it means a lot of things, but I think it means thinking of yourself as like a meaningful creator every day. And even when you're kind of in the boring business stuff, but like you really, as a creator um, there are all sorts of aspects to that. And then I think like, I love the entrepreneur part of it because I think it reminds me that it's not only about lifting yourself up, it's about lifting other women up as, as you do that.
1: Absolutely. Well, I am so glad we were able to sit down and chat today before your little one arrives. And actually this Uh will probably air right after you've given birth. So I cannot wait to follow all of the incredible things that you are going to do both personally and professionally. And we will definitely be following along to see all of your new product developments and things that you're doing on social. So we'll be sure to link out to everything in this show notes. And of course on social Ali, where can everyone find you and follow you? And of course, buy your incredible products.
0: Yes, definitely. They can follow at Veracity self-care. It's V-E- R-A-C-I-T-Y self care on Instagram, same veracity, self care.com. And I can share a code if you'd like, if you use the code entrepreneurista 20, um, on our website, you can get 20% off your first order. So would love to have, um, the community and listeners, you know, try the tests, the products, anything, everything.
1: <laughs> Amazing. And ladies, we will link out to the, code in the show notes as well. Ali, thank you so much for being here again. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneista.com and connect with us on Instagram at Entrepreneistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurisa.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.